Hey everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rorkraut. And today we will be doing a special edition of Oscar Rewind. We will be discussing three movies that were all nominated for Oscars that we think would be good to watch on Valentine's Day. We each chose a movie, and then we have one listener's choice pick. There were lots of options for this, and narrowing it down to three, I think, was really hard. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to why we chose these, but these were ones I specifically either wanted to revisit or watch for the first time. I'm excited to talk about these, so why don't you get started with your pick? Yeah, so I chose My Beautiful Laundrette which came out in 1985. This is one I hadn't seen before, but is on my Criterion Challenge for the year. Okay. And it's one that I've heard of before, and I know you've mentioned because of Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. so it's definitely one I wanted to put in here and, uh, I guess, force myself to watch for this. <laughs> um, it was directed by Stephen Frears. It stars Gordon Warnicky and Daniel Day-Lewis. It's about a British-Pakistani man who renovates a rundown laundrette with his male lover, while dealing with drama within his family, the local Pakistani community, and a persistent mob of skinheads. Being the one queer story that we're going to be talking about, I think it handles it in a pretty decent way for the 80s. It's not necessarily the center of the film, but I think it's an interesting storyline that they talk about. Is this one that you've seen multiple times before, or has it been a long time since you saw this? So this was my second time watching it. The first time I saw it was back in 2017. So when Phantom Thread came out, I did a DDL binge where I just watched all of his movies. He weirdly, for having such a long career, hasn't been in too many movies. So this was one -hmm. that I had watched then. And it really was fascinating to see a young Daniel Day-Lewis in this type of role. And I think that he really is just amazing. And you really cannot take your eyes off of him. And it was one of those where I, at least for me, you know, being the Daniel Day-Lewis fan that I am, overall, I think that the Daniel Day-Lewis performance is the most successful aspect of the movie. And it made me wish that I could, like, go back in time and watch it without knowing the kind of career that he would have. Because he really is so charismatic in the part. And what's great about the year and with him specifically is that he also had another film a room with a view come out that Mm -hmm. same year which was totally different i think that speaks to him as an actor which absolutely i don't think this role is necessarily something he does often or has done before Mm -hmm. but he definitely does give a multifaceted performance Mm -hmm. i was looking back at reviews of the film when it came out and actually visited the Ebert review and what he said about it. And he said, I'm going to quote, the character of Johnny may cause you to blink if you've seen the wonderful A Room with a View. He's played by Daniel Day-Lewis, the same actor who in Room plays the heroine's affected fiance, Cecil. Seeing these two performances side by side is an affirmation of the miracle of acting. That one man could play these two opposites is astonishing. And I completely agree with that. Oh, wow. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So this was your first time watching it. Did you like it? What did you think overall of the movie? I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. But I think, again, some of its storyline surrounding the two men having this relationship. I was a little confused on, like, they met up at one point during the film. 
I guess like mid early on and they just kissed. There was no like leading into it. You know, once they meet that they were childhood friends, but you don't know like what happened or why they separated or how they became disconnected. But I think the relationship between the two is pretty strong throughout. Mm -hmm. I believed in them together. But I think apart from the relationship, which the film does, but doesn't focus on Johnny, who is played by Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't know. It's hard to explain because they're definitely focusing on Omar's story and Mm -hmm. his heritage, his family, and the politics of Thatcher in that era and how that is affecting his dreams and his family wanting him to go to school and what he wants to accomplish and make money. So did you find that confusing or how did you feel about dealing with this story of the couple versus what else was going on? I did actually find it a bit confusing. I think that one thing that's challenging with this film is that the script to me feels a little overstuffed with dialogue and with different plot lines. So it's kind of hard to pick where you should focus your attention when you're watching it. It's like, oh, is this the couple I should be focusing on? Or should I be focusing on this side character? I think that the director is by kind of trying to weave all of these plot lines together, trying to kind of convey a mood for the time and just to speak more generally, but also specifically about what everyone was going through in Thatcher, England. And I realized that too, I think, Mm -hmm. because I consumed so much Thatcher content this year, weirdly, like from The Crown (laughs) and The Nest. And I just realized I was like spending a lot of time in this period, which is so strange, but I think it was helpful in revisiting this and thinking of the context for the time. I do think also what's hard is that because Daniel Day-Lewis is so strong as an actor and he has kind of a supporting role, it's challenging not to pay attention to him all the time. So for me, at least, when he was off screen, I was kind of like, where is he? Which I think is just a thing that comes with watching young Daniel Day-Lewis before he was getting all of these big leading roles. So circling back a little bit, this movie was chosen because it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It ended up losing to Hannah and her sisters. I love Hannah and her sisters. We Maybe we don't need to get into Woody, but I, I do love that movie a lot. <laughs> yeah, I did like it when I saw it. It's been a long time, though. I would like to revisit. So speaking about the screenplay, some of Omar's line readings to me fell flat. He showed charisma, but it didn't feel natural to his character. But on the flip side, talking about DDL, and this may totally not be true, but I feel like him as an actor might have added some of those like really, not raunchy, but fun moments, like where he licks Omar's neck. Yeah, I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then when he baby birds the champagne into Omar's mouth. Oh, yeah. I feel like those could be scripted, but again could not be just knowing him and those were moments I really loved (laughs) it feels like DDL ad lib yeah that's what it felt like to me like when I watch it because I'm like does this actually kind of fit in the script sure maybe but also it's just like textbook DDL to throw something like that in there and you can totally see him doing that even as a young guy spitting champagne in his mouth I was like okay very shocked wow (laughs) I'm definitely going to have to look up that screenplay and figure it out. I'll get back to you on that. 
Is this the most attractive you've ever found DDL? I'm asking because he's like young and blonde too. He's very young. I didn't love the like bang swoop in the front. I forget what that was, but that was definitely like ninth grade Mm -hmm. hairstyle. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't say yes, but I wouldn't say no. They definitely like showed him shirtless and being young. Definitely not as much as you ever, but... (laughs) This, though, isn't even in, like, my top five DDL. Like, for me, hottest DDL is The Crucible, which is probably so strange for people to hear, but makes sense why why Nona Ryder goes crazy. I watched it in high school and was overwhelmed. (laughs) Anyway. It's peak type. Yes. (laughs) But talking about Daniel Day-Lewis from this year, too, I definitely recommend A Room with a View. Have you seen that one? Mm -mm. I don't know if you would like it as well. (laughs) It is a period drama. (laughs) A Room of the View is great, I think, especially after you've watched this, just like Ebert said, like we've been talking about, to compare the DDL performances, because he's really good in that, too, and just completely different. You could never imagine that character ever, ever spitting champagne into anyone's mouth. (laughs) My favorite little trivia tidbit that I found out was that he and Gordon on set were called the Listerine Kids, because they would use so much Listerine because they had to kiss so much on set. That's really funny. (laughs) I think if you're looking to watch some kind of Valentine's Day themed movie and you want something that's queer and also has pretty strong political themes, you could have a good conversation after you watch this about multiple aspects. I think My Beautiful Laundrette would be a good option for you. It did really well with critics back then and was kind of an indie Oscar nominee. So if you're looking for something that's a little more off the beaten path, like you said, queer, political, um, interested in those themes, but an indie from the 80s, that isn't something I feel like that's on a lot of like Valentine's Day movie lists and you want to just kind of broaden your horizons a little bit, this is a good pick. Yeah, it's definitely not showy, which I really liked about it. And it's a fairly contained story and I think is just very watchable so if you could give this movie one Oscar what would you give it I don't think I would give it screenplay even though that's the only nomination it was given yeah I think we can go the easy route and give it to DDL Mm -hmm. because I know that's who you would give it to as well of course (laughs) okay so I chose the 1989 classic When Harry Met Sally. It was directed by Rob Reiner, written by Nora Ephron, the great, and it stars Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Carrie Fisher. I think that this is just the iconic early rom-com. Description here if you haven't seen it or if it's been a while. During their travel from Chicago to New York, Harry and Sally debate whether or not sex ruins a friendship between a man and a woman. 11 years later, and they're still no closer to finding the answer. This was nominated for Best Original Screenplay for Nora Ephron, and it lost to Dead Poets Society, which is tragic in my opinion. But I think if we're thinking of absolutely foundational films, like throughout history, this is one of them. Now, it might sound a little crazy, but Mm -hmm. I think that this movie created the modern romantic comedy. I think that we had classic rom-coms back in the 30s and 40s that I really love a lot of them. And then Woody Allen movies like Annie Hall and Manhattan, Hannah and Her Sisters. But this, I think, really kicks off what becomes the modern rom-com period. So in the 90s, in the aughts, 
We had so many romantic comedies and this really is, I think, the prototype and the best version of that in a lot of ways. I think, you know, having these two friends, like, should they be together? Should they not? We see that in so many rom-coms now. It's just this, like, really common Mm -hmm. theme. I picked it just because it's really watchable. It's very fun. And it's hugely influential if you're interested in rom-coms at all. And you'd seen this before, right? I'd seen this a few times before. And I agree with you that it's foundational to... Maybe not film history, but definitely important to the romance genre. The script is so witty. I love the actors. Billy Crystal is just one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Meg Ryan, Carrie Fisher, they do amazing work here. I, you can't take your eyes off Carrie. And I am not one to like romantic comedies because I think it's been so distilled over the years into hitting these points and then ending with this super happy story. And this just takes such a smarter approach to it. And I think part of that is due to the structure of the script. I really liked how they broke it into little vignettes between these real couples Uh that tell their stories of how they met and in the end relate it to the one that you're seeing on screen. Mm -hmm. I do love romantic comedies, like even cheesy ones sometimes. It's just like fun things to watch, but it is kind of like the same structure over and over again sometimes. It's so hard to, I think, be creative in the genre But this one really is Mm -hmm. like it started so many. It's just fun to see how it started. And I agree like Billy Crystal. When I think of Billy Crystal, I think of Harry more so than any of his other like films or comedy or Oscar hosting, anything like that. I always think of him as Harry and I think it's like quite the feat, honestly, of Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron that they make him like a heartthrob. He's not who you would think Mm -hmm. of as this like traditional guy that you would be interested in in the movie but it works so well and I think you know Meg Ryan she's perfect as Sally I think that Sally herself is the archetype for so many girls in so many women in romantic comedies you know this movie kind of created the term high maintenance and she's so picky and just everything about her you know working in media like these are all things that we see now in romantic comedies And it's all credit, I think, to Nora Ephron, who is just the queen. And we can't, I think, say enough good Mm -hmm. things about her. Yeah. Manages the characters really well and their relationships, too. I really wasn't phased or I was shocked by seeing how old they were when they filmed this. So Meg Ryan was 28 and Billy Crystal was 41. That's so crazy. Which a 13-year difference, yeah, would, I think, look a lot more stark. And it doesn't. And I think also this is a New York movie, Mm -hmm. which makes me very happy. And also a Christmas movie at that. Yeah. (laughs) It really checks all of the boxes in such a great way. Yeah, absolutely. New York in the fall in this movie looks so beautiful. It's like the best fall Mm -hmm. has ever looked on film is in When Harry Met Sally. There were also a lot of fun facts that I read about this movie. One of them that... I went back and rewatched, which is noticeable, is when Harry and Sally are in the Met and Billy is doing this weird voice and he's ad-libbing at that time. And Meg Ryan was so thrown aback. She like looked to her right at Rob Reiner to see if they would keep going. And he was like, yeah, just go with it. And she turns back to the scene and you can see her in the film turn and come back and kind of like laugh it off and then do the scene. Yeah. Yeah, his comedy is so perfect for the movie. I wonder what it was like when it came out. Like if 
so many of the things that he said, if it really caused men and women to like rethink their friendships and like certain things that they do and just reconsider so many things in their relationship just based on this movie and its popularity. Do you have a favorite real life love story from the movie? Well, I really like how it comes back to them at the end. Because I think normally I don't know if they should end up together. Because I think sometimes when this happens with friends, it just like completely ends up blowing up in their faces and not working out. But I love how all of the little vignettes kind of add up to theirs at the end. And it makes sense for like them to share the story about their wedding at the end. I like that. Do you have a favorite? I do. I think some of them are just so endearing and some are really funny. Mm -hmm. But my favorite is the one where the man just doesn't remember anybody's name and the wife next to him remembers the ex-wife's plural names and his original girlfriend. It's just funny that Mm -hmm. she's basically taking care of him the whole time. Yeah, that's so good. I think too, like there are just so many fun scenes in it. I love the original diner scene, like at the very beginning when she's putting in the complicated order. Obviously Mm -hmm. the I'll have what she's having is iconic at Katz's Deli. I love the four-way call scene where they're both on the, they're like both on the phone separately with Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. Yes, yes. That's so good. And they're in the bed. It's so funny. It took them 60 takes to get that right. Yeah, on like the 57th take or something like that, like near the end. Someone messed up like right at the end and they had to do it all <laughs> oh, <no>. over again. <laughs> There's another line. I'm assuming Sally is saying this to Marie, played by Carrie Fisher, but she goes, you like him. He's married. (laughs) Maybe or maybe not relatable. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) And then the whole underpant days of the week conversation was just so bizarre. Mm -hmm. But I love that Mm -hmm. one, too. And of course, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. It's so cute. Mm-hmm. And I think they use music really well. Mm-hmm. The lyrics definitely play according to the scene. Uh-huh. It had to be you playing at the end, I think, is great. And then explaining what the lyrics of Old Lang Sign mean, mm-hmm. I think, was a great little scene, too. The Harry Connick Jr. music is really good. I think now in rom-coms, you have so much just like synth pop music playing the just whole time, music. just yeah. all the time. And yeah. this was just... So much better than that. I think it works so well. I also just like love the whole idea because this was groundbreaking for me when I first watched the movie, just like it is for Sally when Harry's just explaining how like men and women can't be friends because guys will always want to sleep with the woman. And I just remember learning that when I watched this and being like, is that true? Like that can't be true. And (laughs) I love the quote when she's like, so you're saying a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive. And then he says, no, you pretty much want to nail them too. It's like, oh my God. It really did like teach me a lot. I think that just relates to to any sexuality of whoever you're into being friends with them Mm -hmm. is not going to be easy or possible. No. And because it's yeah, very relatable and it gets that it gets that so right, I think, of like how that can just completely Mm -hmm. be a mess. And how they wrote a movie around this concept is amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. And successfully. I think so, too. So I would recommend this to anyone who wants something that is a classic, but that's just very watchable and something for people who like the standard rom-com. So if you're a fan of rom-coms, I feel like you have to 
watch When Harry Met Sally just to understand where a lot of things came from. And like I said, completely foundational. And being in New York is fun. I love the apartments. There are just so many, I think, just excellent aspects. And I think also Nora Ephron is someone, it's a name that is so important to just the genre and to film writing. So if you like Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, those are other good ones. But I think this is this is her best. And I think also if you don't like rom-coms, but enjoy smart writing, I think even this will surprise you. There are very few rom-coms that I really, really love, and this is one of them. Definitely one that is easy to revisit. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? I would absolutely give it Best Original Screenplay. Yes, same. Very deserving. Next up, we have a fun segment slash game that was created by a listener, and it is called Smash or Pass. And basically, we're going to list off movie characters in Oscar-nominated films and tell you if we would smash or pass. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be fun. So first up, we have Elio Perlman from Call Me By Your Name. The only option now. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. This is an easy smash, and I will be representing all of our friends on this one. You will, because this for me is an easy pass. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would break him, so next. (laughs) Next up, we have Seb from La La Land. Easy smash. Yes, this is also a smash. (laughs) Okay, next we have Jack from Titanic. Do you have to think about this one? You know, I think if you're about to die, it has to be smash. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, I mean, it's Leo in Titanic, so my answer is smash. We will get to him in a moment. Mm -hmm. Next one up is Sully from (laughs) Monsters, Inc. (laughs) Oh my god. I have got to say pass. Would you pass on Mike Wazowski as well? I would pass on anyone in the Monsters, Inc. universe. Oh my god. Yes, this is a pass. This is silly. Okay. Next we have Lori from Little Women. See, I'm going to have to pass here. Okay. Because it's about his character more so now. Mm. Because he's such a playboy. As a Joe, I also would have to pass. Okay. Next up is Chris from Get Out, played by Daniel Kaluuya. Smash. I would say smash too, and also because he is completely right to try to get out of this place. And he's also just like, he has a great apartment at the beginning. He just seems like (laughs) (laughs) he has everything just all together. Next we have Charlie Barber, aka Adam Driver in Marriage Story. You'll hate me, but I think I'm going to say pass. More for me. Yes. (laughs) Definitely an easy call here. Smash. (laughs) Okay, what about Legolas from Lord of the Rings? I feel like everyone my age is going to kill me, but I would say pass. I'm more of an Aragorn girl. (gasps) Oh my god. I would definitely smash. (laughs) (laughs) What about Theodore, a.k.a. Joaquin Phoenix in Her? Pass. Pass for me, too. Okay, this is unfair, but Reynolds from Phantom Thread. Unfair. An obvious answer, I guess. So, oh, God. Um, 
This is so weird because I. Because you're blushing, is that why? <laughs> I don't know. He's just like so old, but. I... Oh my um, God. I would say smash. <laughs> I mean, some like okay. weird stuff has to be happening. I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, I guess Alma is older than you too, but I would pass. Sorry. It's fine. Again, just Michael Corleone in The Godfather. I don't. Mm, I think I'd pass. Really? Someone in the mafia? I mean, Diane Keaton. Eh, I don't, mm. It's not marriage. Like I would be a Iffy. terrible mob wife, but. I'm still going to pass. Okay. Smash for me again. (laughs) Saru from Lion, played by Dev Patel. Smash, for sure. Yeah, smash. Adonis Johnson, played by Michael B. Jordan in Creed. I would say smash. Yes. Me too. That's an easy one. The next one. Where do I get all the weird ones? I don't know. The fish man from (laughs) The Shape of Water. Pass. <laughs> yes, sorry. I'm, we'll pass as well. <laughs> okay, Nick Dunn, a.k.a. Ben Affleck in Gone Girl. I'm going to pass. Were you asleep during the shower scene? <laughs> ben Affleck in The Way Back, Gone Girl, Argo, just like it's a no-go. Okay, again, smash. <laughs> Rocky Balboa from Rocky. I don't know why my instinct here is to say pass, other than that I feel like I just need to because I've picked Smash for so many. <laughs> oh, I, I'm showing you because I'm passing. Oh, you're passing. <laughs> yes. Okay, Tony Monero from Saturday Night Fever. I've never seen, but I would say Smash. For sure. Angel Face from Fight Club. Who is played by Jared Leto. Hard pass. <laughs> yeah, nobody in this house can be trusted. I'm passing on this one, too. Arthur Fleck from Joker. <laughs> pass. Also pass. Obviously. Bruce Wayne from The Dark Knight. Another easy one. Smash. The yacht scene? I would maybe say any of the Dark Knight trilogy films. I would say Smash. Christian Bale is just like so... I Again, as everyone knows, one of my favorites, but especially in these. Wow. Um, okay. Stanley Kowalski in A Streetcar Named Desire. Marlon Brando. Smash. Definitely. Easy one. Well, I think my count of all of these is like 55. <laughs> Yours is 10. <laughs> Let's move on to our listener's choice movie. That was very fun. Back to, <laughs> back to our back conversations. To regular, programming. regular programming. So our listener's choice pick is Romeo and Juliet from 1996, the Baz Luhrmann adaptation, which stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. I feel like everyone knows the story of Romeo and Juliet, but in this particular version, Baz Luhrmann takes this classic tragedy and... He moves the Montagues and the Capulets to Verona Beach. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, and it lost to The English Patient. Is this the adaptation you think of when you think of Romeo and Juliet or Shakespeare adaptations as a whole? I think I saw this in high school. I can't really remember. It has been a long time, but I remember liking it. 
I could see this as being like a required viewing for anyone studying Romeo and Juliet or Shakespeare in school, because it does incorporate that language, his style, not necessarily the actual writings of Romeo and Juliet. But in terms of being the one adaptation I think of, I probably would turn to West Side Story. Or are you talking like direct Romeo and Juliet title? I was thinking direct Romeo and Juliet title, but West Side Story works. I mean, this is the highest grossing Shakespeare adaptation, and I think it most easily comes to mind when you're thinking of Mm -hmm. Shakespeare titles. It may not be my favorite, but we can get into what we think about it later. Is this that for you? I also really like the Zeffirelli one, which is like more traditional Romeo and Juliet that came out in the 60s. That was the one that we actually watched in high school. We weren't allowed to watch Mm -hmm. this one. Our teachers thought it was too crazy and chaotic. But, of course, that meant that I went to get it from the library because I had to see what they wouldn't let us watch. So this is the one that I think of when I think of Romeo and Juliet adaptations. Of course, there are tons of of Shakespeare adaptations that we have. But this is, I think, the one that really gets the mood of Shakespeare actually right. I'm going to try not to get too English teacher on this. I'm going to try very hard. Well, Boz has said, like he does in a lot of his other films of including pop music and modern day music, that he wanted to incorporate different styles of music because that's what Shakespeare would do Mm -hmm. back in his day. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And so I think one thing that this movie gets really right is that a lot of times when you look at Shakespeare adaptations they're very very cold and dramatic and if you look at the Cucor version for example with Norma Shearer it's just like not right you'll see a lot of them and they're just kind of like period dramas almost and this one I feel like gets the vibe of Shakespeare right because Shakespeare in his time was campy I mean to see a Shakespeare play at the time a majority of his audience couldn't read he had to compete with brothels, public executions, bear baiting to get people to come see these shows. Like they weren't boring. They were highly entertaining populist plays and they had Mm. raunchy jokes in them. They were not this highbrow thing that we think of when we think of Shakespeare today. And I think that when you think of Romeo and Juliet in particular, it's the most taught Shakespeare play in American high schools. And what this version gets so right is that You never love anything the way that you do when you're 14. Like, everything is so heightened and hormonal and crazy. And this one, I think, gets the language and the feel of teenagers so perfectly. And that's what I really like about this version. And teenagers, I think it's why they like it and why it's so formative for them when they're learning Shakespeare. It's definitely a visual experience. He plays with lots of colors, different cinematography, lots of sets. And I really, really like that about this. I think that captures what you're talking about really well. And it definitely helped me like be engrossed by what was happening. I think the language was a little hard for me because it was Shakespeare, but I think a lot of it was rewritten. Do you know about the writing of the movie or... I don't know what percentage is changed up from the folio, for example. Here, I imagine a good portion of it is. But I think in in most Shakespeare adaptations, that is always the challenge, is just adjusting to 
and hearing that type of language in a setting that's more modern, I can imagine, Mm -hmm. is harder. Like, watching Shakespeare is always better than reading Shakespeare, I think, because you can actually see the characters' emotions and Mm -hmm. see how everything plays out. But I do like, and I think that what works here, too, is that these characters are really unique. And I think that Boslerman, like, gets what Shakespeare is really going for with these characters, especially, like, having Mercutio be in drag, having Leonardo DiCaprio as Romeo just crying the entire movie. (laughs) It just works really well to me. One thing I read that was really interesting is that Pete Postlethwaite, who plays Father Lawrence, was the only actor in the movie to speak in iambic pentameter, which is what Mm -hmm. Shakespeare writes all of his plays in. Mm -hmm. So for him being the only one and... That kind of keyed me into them rewriting the script. But I did really love the characters. I think all of the actors really go above and beyond. Definitely mm-hmm. Claire and Leo. Yeah. I think some of it felt too outlandish for me, which you're explaining is how this is meant to be done, which is, I guess, something I never thought of before. The intro scene at the gas station, I think, is it's very campy. It's over the top. Mm-hmm. These actors that we know from like 90s 2000s are the key players in this Mm -hmm. and they're so young and it's kind of unsettling it's weird seeing them in these roles yeah which doesn't make it bad I I think I'm like mixed positive about it and that's how a lot of the critics were at the time too but it was a huge box office hit it's interesting to think about like critical reception and stuff because I feel that adults didn't get it, but teens really loved it. I think like mm-hmm. teenagers, I know I, I read that at the time in 17 magazine and places like that, they had little postcards that were like advertisements for the movie that would have like the characters on them and a quote from the play from the movie on them. Mm-hmm. And, these teenagers would just like hang them up in their locker and just thinking of that as a way to engage teenagers with Shakespeare is just so cool to me. I think like to one cool thing about Romeo and Juliet is that thinking Shakespeare plays not my favorite, but I mean, absolutely essential Shakespeare. You have all of this kind of erotic action taking place through language, which teenagers can completely relate to. I mean, what are, like, if you watch Euphoria, they're all sexting and Snapchatting, and it's horrifying, but that's basically what's happening in Romeo and Juliet. That's what the language yeah. is suggesting. Yeah. And it's why teens still relate to it, and in particular, I think, this this version, because it's, the actors are so good. Leo is so beautiful. It just, it really works. I haven't seen any of the other modern Romeo and Juliet adaptations. There was one recently with Haley Steinfeld and then one this past Sundance called R and J, which looks like R hashtag J. It was made by the director who made searching. So it's all on like camera screens and phones and laptops and whatnot. So both of those did not get great reviews. I don't know if I will ever watch them, but it, interest me to see like how they keep adapting the story in the modern day Mm -hmm. and how maybe that's different from even the 1996 version already yeah i haven't seen either of those either one thing about shakespeare and why shakespeare is so popular and was at the time is because it is timeless i mean obviously the language itself is elizabethan in nature but 
the themes that are there and the characters and the emotions that they feel yeah it's it's timeless and that's why these adaptations will persist and you know next year too we're getting the Mm -hmm. cohen macbeth Mm -hmm. which is very exciting so yeah i'm i'm always like up for directors and writers trying to interpret shakespeare and make modern day adaptations Especially, I think, if they're anything like this. I think Boz's style just works really well with this one. I think that sometimes when he does adaptations, it doesn't quite reach those heights, like The Great Gatsby, for example. But I do really enjoy this one. I think I'll always love Moulin Rouge the most out of any of his movies. But this is nowhere near the bottom. I mean, Moulin Rouge is like close second to this for me. It suits the story he's trying to tell. And it's... It's creative and unique yeah. and like solely his vision, which I really enjoy. So first, I think if you like Shakespeare adaptations or adaptations of classic literature, this is definitely a must watch. I think also if you're trying to get a handle on the 90s as a decade and popular movies from them, popular romances, this is obviously a good one. Also, if you're looking for something kind of sad and weepy and over the top, Obviously, this is a tragedy. It does not have a happy ending. So I think if you're looking for that, this is a good one. And this is so flashy. I think if you're looking for something visually stunning, Mm -hmm. definitely this should be on your list. And with such a huge cast, there are a lot of smaller appearances as well. We talked about Mercutio, who is played by Harold Perrineau, better known as Michael from Lost. So there are a lot of smaller appearances then I would recommend this as well. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? I think I would do Art Direction, what it was actually nominated for. I think it's just so visually beautiful and unique. What about you? I would agree. I think probably a slight edge of Art Direction over cinematography or screenplay. Mm -hmm. So those were our three movies that we wanted to talk about today, but we also want to give you some other good options to watch on Valentine's Day, dependent on your mood or what type of movie you are looking for. So our first category is sad or lonely. I think some of these movies can be put in different categories. And mm-hmm. I think here specifically, it's not only if you like want to feel sad because you're alone on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Some of these here would be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Lost in Translation, and Her. And then I also added The Way We Were, which is this like Robert Redford, Barbara Streisand movie, and then Marriage Story. Another category is Twisted or Dark. And this is the type of genre I always watch on Valentine's Day. I don't know (laughs) why, but it is. So some of them that we have here, so Phantom Thread, Gone Girl, Vertigo, The Favorite. Blue Valentine, Shape of Water, 500 Days of Summer. The Lobster, and Something Wild, which is another demi-criterion, just like Sounds of the Lambs from last week. Another category is horror films. So Valentine, My Bloody Valentine, Bride of Chucky, The Loved Ones, which is this great B-movie horror slasher flick from Australia that I really recommend. I would also add It Follows, The Strangers, Crimson Peak, I know this year on Valentine's Day, I have plans to watch St. Maud, which is coming out next weekend. Yes. Very exciting. So the next genre we have is romance dramas. This is if you want something that's just kind of your standard romance film. 
we have Cold War, Pride and Prejudice, A Star is Born, Titanic, Only Lovers Left Alive, which I would also add to horror, The Notebook, Princess Bride, Like Crazy, and The Before Trilogy, which we love. I think we need its own episode. That's why we didn't want to cover it this time. Mm Mm-hmm. But we definitely will. Some more, I would say, About Time, which is also kind of rom-com, but also drama. Mm-hmm. Theory of Everything, My Girl, La La Land, Shakespeare in Love. We mentioned A Room with a View earlier. And I feel like a lot of the Disney films could fit in here too. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and one of our favorites from Wong Kar Wai, In the Mood for Love. So good. I really wanted to talk about it today on the episode but it was not nominated for an oscar Wong Kar Wai has never been nominated for an oscar and i cannot believe that i feel like i'm gonna go through another Wong Kar Wai phase soon (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna buy that new box criterion Mm -hmm. set Mm -hmm. next category not my favorite but still (laughs) is rom-com a few here valentine's day which i think is terrible but some people love I was going to say, when I saw that you put it in here, I was like, Okay, maybe Valentine's we should take that Day, off. Do you like <laughs> Don't that? watch that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Don't watch that. Watch About Time. Anything with Audrey Hepburn, Breakfast at Tiffany, Charade, How to Be Single, that is absolutely my rom-com choice. <laughs> or Groundhog Day. I also added Bridget Jones's Diary. So I think like the some writers that you, know, you can look into here just being great rom-com writers... Nancy Myers, anything by her, anything by Nora Ephron. And then I also added on here The First Wives Club, which I really like. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Next, we have LGBTQ love stories. So we have Beginners, which I put on here also because Christopher Plummer just passed away, which is mm-hmm. tragic. A great career. And just you really just check out anything from his career like the sound of music and even more recently knives out that's always fun to watch but yes beginners is just a delightful watch really really good film this was an instant five out of five for me and i definitely will be rewatching this later this week some more that we have moonlight call me by your name obviously brokeback mountain portrait of a lady on fire which we really love and then i would say my favorite in this category is definitely carol some more would be Heartbeats, which is a Xavier Dolan film. So enjoyable, visually stunning, even more so than Romeo and Juliet, I would say. Some more, Blue is the Warmest Color. Love, Simon, if you want something more young adult. The Way He Looks. The Handmaiden, which is something I also wanted to talk about here, but was not nominated, which is complete trash. A Single Man, Weekend, The Watermelon Woman, Happy Together, also Wong Kar Wai, Edge of Seventeen, and My Own Private Idaho. And then our final category is classic Hollywood films. Again, there are so many, not enough to list, but The Philadelphia Story and Casablanca are two very well-known ones. Mm -hmm. Also, His Girl Friday, The Thin Man, An Affair to Remember, Brief Encounter, The Lady Eve, Singing in the Rain, Then these last two that I listed are like a little more obscure, but I really like them. One is called The Women, which is just this amazing comedy, truly. Joan Crawford is just iconic in it. And then When Ladies Meet, which is just this great kind of like 
love triangle movie with Greer Garson and Joan Crawford. And you obviously just want them to get together the whole time. But of course it's the forties, so they don't, but it's really good. So any of those I feel like are great. Well, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have some great Valentine's Day plans and staying in with some movies, which is probably what I will be doing. Me too. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. Feel free to submit any kind of suggestions you have for either topics or other movies that you love related to Valentine's Day or just in general that you would love to hear about. Absolutely. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be talking about a brand new movie coming out on HBO Max. We're very excited to talk about for Black History Month, Judas and the Black Messiah. Cannot wait for you to see this so that we can talk all about it. There are some outstanding performances in it and i can't wait for everyone to see it and to talk about it we'll also be talking about other films to highlight black history month thank you so much for listening we will see you next week stay safe and wear your masks thanks again everyone see you next week stay safe and wear your masks